Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Anointing the High Priest, Messiah, and the Sacrifice, Leviticus 8 and 9. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. There's generally a blog post for each one of these lessons on my website, livethroughjesus.com, and all of the past studies are done in writing and available to purchase there for under $5. Since I'm writing as I go along, the current study may or may not be there quite yet, but it definitely will be available to purchase once all of the episodes for it are complete. I'll try to let you know, but you can also just check the website periodically, maybe each week when a new blog post comes out. If you'd like for me to email you whenever a new blog post or a new study comes out, then email me at Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com and I'll put you on the email list. Okay, so now that all that's out of the way, let's get started on this week's lesson. On the last episode, we talked about how Moses and the people set up the tabernacle, and then God came down and filled it with his glory, and how he led the people through that glory cloud as they traveled towards the promised land. And if you happen to miss that episode, you're going to want to go back and listen to it because we talked about where God's spirit dwells now and how he leads his people and how we are to follow. Now, this week, we're going to talk about the anointing of the priests. After the tabernacle was up, Moses anointed the people that would be doing the work there in the tabernacle. And that was going to be Aaron and his sons. And God selected Aaron to be the high priest, and then his sons would be the priests that would serve underneath him. And at first glance, it may seem like Aaron did not deserve this honor since he was the one that led the people into sin by creating the golden calf. But it's actually very fitting if you think about it because the high priest is the one that's responsible for the sin of the nation and for their atonement. And so just as Aaron had been responsible for the nation's sin when he built the golden calf, now God is putting him in that role of being responsible for the whole nation and making atonement for their sins. It's as if he's giving him the chance to make up for the sin that he led the nation into. And so because Aaron is the one being anointed at this moment, Moses acts as the high priest during this entire consecration ceremony. And then after that, Aaron will do the jobs of the high priest. But the things that we're talking about today are going to be performed by Moses as if he's the high priest. And they call this the consecration ceremony because it is the time that they're set aside for the service of the Lord. And the word consecrate means to fill the hand. And so when a man was made king, then they would fill his hand with a scepter that would show that he had power over the nation. And so this is saying that Aaron and his son's hands are figuratively being filled with the power to make atonement for the nation's sins. And so Moses holds this ceremony for Aaron and his sons exactly the way that God had instructed him in Exodus 29. 
And so I'm going to read the first nine verses of chapter eight of Leviticus and tell you how this ceremony began. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the Urim and Thummim in the breastplate. And he put the turban on his head, also on the turban, on the front. He put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And I'm actually going to continue reading until verse 13. So this is verse 10. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the laver and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, and put hats on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. So if you notice, the very first thing that God told Moses to do is have Aaron and his sons wash in the bronze basin. This was definitely done in order to make them physically clean before they put their priestly clothes on. But it was also being done as a symbol of them being spiritually clean before they performed the services before God. And so once they were clean, Moses put the clothes on them that had been prepared for the priests. And then he anointed the bronze altar and the basin seven times with the anointing oil that God had told them to use whenever they anointed the holy things. If you remember, whenever God was giving them the pattern for the furniture and the tabernacle, he also gave them a formula for two separate kinds of oils. One of them was for the oil that would be burned in the altar of incense in the holy place. And the other one was for the oil that they would use to anoint the holy things. And so Moses used this oil to anoint the bronze basin and the bronze altar. And it says he sprinkled it on there seven times. And the reason for the number seven is because it symbolizes completion or perfection. The reason for this is because it took God seven days to create the world. And then he looked at it and said it was very good. And so the number seven says, this is complete. I've created all of the things or I have anointed this fully. Okay. That's what it's showing is that it's been dedicated to the service of God completely. And then Moses poured some of the oil on Aaron's head to anoint him as the high priest. And his sons were also set apart for priestly service, but only Aaron was anointed because he was the one high priest. His sons served underneath him. And whenever he died, one of them would take his place as the high priest and they would be anointed as the high priest, but only the high priest was anointed. And then after Moses anointed Aaron, 
He offered up all the sacrifices that God told him according to the commands that God had given him in Exodus 29. And that is where I stopped reading because they carried out these sacrifices beginning in verse 14 all the way to verse 29. And I'm not going to go over that today because there's a lot of detail in each one of these sacrifices and why they were done the way that they were. And we're going to talk about that next week in further detail. So today, all I'm going to tell you is that Moses offered the sacrifices as God had directed him. And then I want to read you beginning in verse 30, what happened after all the sacrifices have been offered. It says, Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of the consecration offerings. As I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire and you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the day of your consecration has ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. And so Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So after Moses offered all of these sacrifices, then he took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood and he sprinkled it on the clothes of all the priests. And this consecrated them and their clothes. It filled them with power to perform the services that God had asked for the priests to perform. And then Moses told Aaron to boil the meat of the ram at the entrance and then eat it there with the bread. And again, we'll talk about the bread and the ram next week. But they took this meat and boiled it and ate it there with the bread in the courtyard. And then God says that if there's any that remains to the end of the day, then you must burn it. And they continued this ritual for seven days to make their consecration complete. And the priests weren't allowed to leave for the duration of this consecration ceremony for this entire week. Now, I want to begin reading in chapter 9 and tell you what happened after their consecration week was complete. So this is 9-1. It says, It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them to the Lord and to the children of Israel. You shall speak saying, take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering. Also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. Today the Lord will appear to you. And so now that the consecration week is complete and Aaron has been consecrated as the high priest, he gets to act as the high priest for the very first time. And so he offers his own sin offering and burnt offering on this day. Moses is no longer doing it. And so God tells him to offer a sin offering and a burnt offering for himself and then a sin offering and a burnt offering for the people, but also peace offerings and grain offerings for the people. 
And so the following verses tell how Aaron offered them just as the Lord had instructed. And then beginning in verse 22, it says, Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw this, they shouted and fell on their faces. So after all of these things had been offered, Aaron lifts his hands towards the people and blesses them as their high priest. And then after that, Moses takes Aaron into the sanctuary most likely to instruct him on what he was going to be doing in there because the high priest would daily perform things and then also yearly and all of that, they would perform certain tasks within the holy place and the most holy place. And so most likely Moses was taking Aaron in there to explain to him all the things that God had explained to Moses about what the high priest would do within his tabernacle. Now, they also may have spoken to God while they were in there because it does talk about later how God calls to Moses from behind the veil. And so they may have talked with God while they were back there. But I would assume that at the very least, Moses was explaining to Aaron what he would do within the tabernacle. And then when they came out, then they together blessed the people again. And then notice what happens after All of this has taken place. It says that the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then God shows that he accepts the offerings that have been given on their behalf by sending fire onto the altar to consume them. God himself consumed these offerings, showing that he accepts them. He started the fire. And we learn a little bit later that The fire on this altar has to be kept burning continuously. And so God starts this fire and then the priests maintain it so that it's continuously burning on the altar, showing that it's always ready to accept the sacrifices offered by the people. And so by God lighting this, he's showing, I am accepting this sacrifice and you will maintain it to show the people that I will continuously accept the sacrifices offered on this altar. And then the people have the proper response to the glory of the Lord being revealed to them and God's acceptance of their offerings. They respond with awe and worship towards him. And so that is the story of the consecration of the priests and God's glory appearing to them. But I want to spend the rest of our time explaining what this has to do with us. Why do we learn about all of these things? It's easy, especially when you get to Leviticus, to just gloss over all of this and say, right, God's given all these instructions to these people, but they don't pertain to us anymore. And so I get the gist of it. No reason to continue to read this in any kind of detail but it actually has a very strong significance for us because it was pointing these people to Jesus and they just didn't know it. But now that we know who Jesus is and what was going on, we can see exactly what God was doing. That's the reason that I skipped going into detail about the sacrifices this week because initially I just thought that we would kind of summarize the sacrifices and 
the theme would just be, aren't we glad we don't have to do this anymore because now we have Jesus. But when I started really studying them, I realized how much each sacrifice pointed to Jesus. And I wanted to go into detail about it because how can we really understand the sacrifice of Jesus when we don't even understand the sacrifices of the Old Testament? And so it's the same thing here. The anointing of the priests pointed to the anointing of Jesus. And now that we know about him, it gives so much more significance because God had set this Levitical priesthood up. This priesthood would be carried out by the Levites for the duration of the tabernacle and the priesthood that was going on there. Because when Aaron died, one of his sons would take over. When that son died, one of their sons would take over. And so the priesthood was always carried out by a man from the tribe of Levi. But throughout the whole Old Testament, the prophets were speaking of a Messiah that was coming. And the word Messiah means anointed one. And the only people that were anointed in the Old Testament were kings and high priests. So that would have given the people an indication of who Jesus was going to be, the one that God anoints. And Daniel talks about him as the Messiah, the prince. If the word Messiah means anointed one, then Messiah, the prince would mean the anointed son of God. So Daniel was saying the anointed son of God is going to come. And then John the Baptist pointed to Jesus specifically, and he told Andrew that this was the Lamb of God. And then Andrew told his brother Peter that he'd found the Messiah. So Andrew knew that this was the anointed son of God that Daniel had spoken of, that the Old Testament had been prophesying about. And he told his brother Peter that he had found him. And then even Jesus himself told the Samaritan woman that he was the Messiah because she said, I know that a Messiah is coming. We just don't know who he is yet. And Jesus says, I'm the one you speak of. So God anointed Jesus, his son, to be the high priest for all the people. And I want to read you what it says in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, because it tells us that God is the one that anointed him to be the Messiah that was coming. It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, whom was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterwards. But Christ as son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So this says that Jesus Christ is the high priest and he is faithful to the one that appointed him, which is Jesus. And he's higher than Moses, who was also a faithful servant of God. And so Jesus was the anointed son of God. And the ones that were anointed in the Old Testament were kings and high priests. And Jesus came to be both. He also came to be the sacrifice And John the Baptist stated that whenever he told Andrew, this is the Lamb of God. He was telling him, this is the sacrifice that came for you. And that let Andrew know that he was the Messiah. 
And that's what he told his brother, Peter. And the way that we know that Jesus came to be both king and high priest is because he wasn't born of the line of Levi, like all the rest of the high priests. He was born of the line of Judah. And Judah's tribe is called the kingly tribe. Micah prophesied that the ruler of Israel would come from the line of Judah. And that's how the wise men knew to look for Jesus in Bethlehem, because Micah said that. I want to read this to you, what Micah said in Micah 5, 2. He says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths are from of old from everlasting. His going forths are eternal. That's what he's saying. And so you're going to have a ruler that comes from the eternal God. And it's going to come out of the line of Judah. And Jesus himself took on this title of king whenever Pilate asked him if he was king of the Jews. Jesus said, it is as you say that it is. I am king of the Jews. And so it's said that Jesus, instead of coming through the line of Levi, like the Levitical priests, he comes in the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a king and a priest of Salem in Abraham's time. And so that's letting everyone know that Jesus also will be king and priest, just as Melchizedek was, not like the high priests that came through the line of Levi. And the reason that they call Jesus the high priest is because he is the one that intercedes on our behalf, just like the high priest did for the people of Israel. And he also offers himself as a sacrifice for us. He's a high priest because he offers the sacrifice. What's odd about it is that he is the sacrifice. But we know that he offers it because he says that. He tells us that no one actually took Jesus's life. They thought they killed him. But Jesus even tells Pilate, you don't have any power to kill me except that the powers have been given to you by God. Jesus is freely offering his life. He could have not allowed them to take his life. They didn't actually have that power. It was only given to them by God. Jesus freely gave his life. And so Jesus, being the high priest, offered the sacrifice on our behalf. And you know how in chapter 9, it told us how Aaron had to offer first a sacrifice for himself and then a sacrifice for the people. Well, Jesus is a high priest that doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to offer sacrifice for himself before he offers a sacrifice for the people because he has no sins to offer sacrifices for. He doesn't need atonement for his sins because he doesn't have any. And so he is able to offer sacrifices only on behalf of us, not on behalf of himself. And then also the priests, they had to offer sacrifices continuously over and over because every time the people sinned, they had to offer sacrifices. But Jesus doesn't have to do that either because he gives the perfect sacrifice and there's no need for any more animal sacrifices. Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, and the animals never really were, it says that the animals had to be unblemished, but they never were a sufficient sacrifice for the people's sins, and Jesus was. And so because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, there's never any need for more animal sacrifices. And also, the priests 
couldn't continue on being high priests forever because they would die and someone else would take their place. But because Jesus lives forever, there's no need for anyone else to take his place. So that's how Jesus can be the forever king, the forever high priest, and he can put an end to all of the animal sacrifices. That's why he was able to say on the cross, it is finished. Because this priesthood that was through the Levites, it's over now. The animal sacrifices, they're finished. The kings that rule over the people, they're finished. Because now we have a forever king, a forever high priest interceding on our behalf in heaven with God all the time. And his sacrifice was sufficient, putting an end to all the rest of the sacrifices. And so it tells us this exact thing in Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 11, all the way to the end of the chapter. So I want you to listen to how this is all described to the Hebrews. It says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, of necessity there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest, who is come, not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of the endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of the weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope, through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives and makes intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens who doesn't need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which comes after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So do you see all the elements of what we were talking about there before? How there's no perfection in the Levitical priesthood because the people received the law under it. And so that's the reason that he didn't come through the line of Levi and he came through the line of Judah instead. 
which was the kingly line, making him come according to the order of Melchizedek, who was a high priest and a king. He says that on the one hand, Jesus is annulling the former commandment because it was weak and unprofitable. And then on the other hand, he's bringing in a new hope that draws us nearer to God. And so Jesus came to make a new priesthood. And then it talks further at the end about how the high priests were prevented from continuing in their role because they died, but Jesus never dies. And so he has a continuous priesthood. And not only does he have an eternal priesthood, but he also saves us to the utmost. And that's the reason he puts an end to the animal sacrifices, because his sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice. And it says that he continues always making intercession for us. So he's still a high priest interceding for us on our behalves now. And the reason he can be the utmost sacrifice is because of what it says here in verse 26, that he is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And then it talks about further how he doesn't need to make sacrifices for himself and then for the people because he was perfect. There was no reason for him to make atonement for himself. And so he offers himself up as a sacrifice for us once for all. No more need for any more sacrifices because he's such a perfect sacrifice. And so now that we see that Jesus is our anointed high priest and our sacrifice and our king, we see that once he dies, God shows that he accepts Jesus's sacrifice on our behalf by sending his Holy Spirit to consume us and fill us with his glory. And so we, like the high priests, we need to keep the fire burning that he set inside of us whenever we confessed our need for his son's sacrifice. Whenever we took the sacrifice that Jesus offered on our behalf and said, yes, Lord, we offer this sacrifice to you. God says, okay, I will consume that sacrifice and I will fill you with my glory by sending my Holy Spirit to be housed in you and not in the house of a tabernacle. That's how God shows that he accepts the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so all we have to do is just say, yes, we accept the offering that he gave on our behalf and we offer it there to the Lord. And once we do that, then God says that we're now priests because we offer continuously spiritual sacrifices. I want to read you what it says in First Peter 2, 1 through 10, because it talks about that here. It says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stumbling block, and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. And so this is talking about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And even though he was chosen, anointed by God and precious, there were some that rejected him. 
And so to those who rejected him, he becomes a stumbling block. But to those who believe in him, we become living stones being built up as a spiritual house that holds his spirit within us. And we become a holy priesthood that offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. It talks about the spiritual sacrifices also in Romans 12, 1. And it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. So the priests served the Lord, and it said by offering up sacrifices to God. And it says our reasonable service to the Lord is to also offer sacrifices to God. But our sacrifice is that we offer up our whole life to God as a living sacrifice. And that is what is holy and acceptable to the Lord. That is our priestly service to him. And so I hope you see now how much this anointing of the priests and the sacrifices that they made, how much they pointed to Jesus, and then what the glory of the Lord filling the temple and accepting the sacrifices really looks like now today with God filling us. And so this week, spend your time thanking God for the anointing of Jesus as our high priest, the one that interceded on our behalf by offering himself up for us as the ultimate sacrifice and who continues to intercede on our behalves now as he lives as an eternal priest in heaven with the Lord and also rules as an eternal king in heaven over his people. Just as we talked about in Exodus 3, whenever God introduced himself to Moses as I am, and that was like an unending statement, I am all these things, so is Jesus. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, I am Messiah, the anointed high priest and king. He told Pilate he was the king of the Jews. John the Baptist said he was the lamb of God, our sacrifice. So Jesus can say, I am Messiah. I am high priest. I am the Lamb of God, the sacrifice given once for all. So we need to thank him for that and be glad that he wrote all of these things down in the Old Testament so we can see how he was always pointing the people to Jesus. You see, the high priests should have known who Jesus was because God had been pointing to him throughout the whole Old Testament. And the prophets have been pointing to him and telling who he was, what tribe he was going to come from, who he was going to be all the way throughout. And they just didn't want to accept it. That's the reason they wanted Jesus dead. The high priest didn't want to accept that he was no longer going to be high priest because God had sent the high priest, the eternal high priest there, and that his job was going to be irrelevant, right? He didn't want to accept that. But God had been pointing to it all along. And so we just need to thank him and live our lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, so that's all we're going to do today. Next week, we're going to talk about the specific sacrifices that were offered on the Day of Atonement for Aaron and his sons. And then probably also talk about these sacrifices just in general and how they're going to be offered for the people and the services that the high priest and the priests performed there in the tabernacle. So I hope that you'll join us next week and not just think, oh my goodness, that's going to be boring. 
because now you see through the anointing of the priest how we're pointing to Jesus. And it's going to do the same thing next week with the sacrifices. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review. Leave me comments. If you don't want to comment in the comment section, wherever you're listening, then you can email me at Courtney at livethroughjesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.